0: I'm going to start by uh, sending around some pictures so you can see I earned my seat. Um, I always like to mention that I'm the only person I know who actually sends around some pictures. Oh, I'm sorry. What's my name? John. I'm John, a compulsive overeater. John Kiernan. Um, I, um, I always mention that I uh, send around pictures of, of People other than me, in addition to my pictures, because, uh, and actually I'm missing the one of Dan, but I, they were two sponsees of mine uh, that are dead. And I like to mention that and to bring it uh, to the fore. Uh, one, Dan died of, uh, of, he was in the middle of a really bad relapse. They found him sitting in his easy chair with uh, lots of various things around him. And uh, the picture that is there, Jim, Jim Brady, um, he died in a fire. He was too big to get out. He was 600 and something pounds. And, you know, um, the reason I mention that is is this is the program I'm in. You know, I'm in the one with the body count. I'm in the one where people don't get out alive sometimes. And, and I want to remember that. So, um, of course, I, I just want to tell you a little bit of light a candle trivia. This used to be my home meeting for a number of years. And I went and checked today just because I was curious. And we've just passed 10 years of podcasting. We, we started podcasting. Uh, on, on uh, uh, April 1st, 2006, and we're here. And uh, those are the ones from when we started electronically podcasting. And that gentleman over there started this. Roy started this meeting on uh, September 1st, 2001, right right before 9-11. And Roseanne was the first uh, speaker. And uh, actually went <coughs> back and took any tapes in those days. We went back and actually digitized a bunch. and It was really cool. And, it's, and you guys, I hope you realize what a special meeting this is, because, you know, I... I go and lead retreats all over, you know, the United States and Canada, and everybody knows Light Candle. They really do, and you know, and I'll go in. Oh, you're John, and I'm like, really? <laughs> so I'm an OA big shot, you know. I always say being a big shot in OA is like being the smartest kid in summer school, you know. <laughs> 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 um, um, So anyway, I've been coming to OA for 34 years. Uh, I am uh, sober in another program for 34 years. Actually, coming well, be a while for 35. But um, I've been maintaining about 100, 500 pound, 10 pound weight loss for a good amount of that time, and I have 21 plus years of abstinence. And uh, the fact that there's a difference there between 34 and 21 tells you I had some major relapse problems, and I did. I had a major, you know, 21 years ago, I was coming out of a god-awful relapse that had lasted a number of years. And when I say relapse, I don't mean, boom, I was out there. I mean, it was, I called it a relapse cycle. I would get a week, I'd lose it. I'd get two weeks, I'd lose it. I would, you know, uh, it was just miserable. I'd get a month, and I'd lose it. And, and uh uh, you know, there but for the grace of God at some point or another, you know, that changed. And, uh, and as, you know, relapse is actually sort of a, you know, a, a special thing. I, I like to talk about it. I won't talk about it right this second. But, you know, I think in looking back, I spent a lot of time since then looking back. And for me, I, I think the two things that were I didn't get when in that time was uh, I really didn't get how this disease works for me. And uh, I didn't understand powerlessness, at least because it had to do with this disease. I certainly understood my other program, but um, anyway. So I was I was the child of two alcoholics, two Irish alcoholics. What are the What are the odds? Um, uh, They split up at a very early age, and I went back and forth between the frying pan and the fire for a lot of that time. Uh, And you get a lot of really bad modeling from from people who have addictive things. Like uh, we don't talk. We talk. We talk like crazy about sports and politics, and but we don't talk about how we feel in here at all. That's, that's off limits, you know. We have crazy things happen, m- amazingly crazy things, and either an hour later or the next morning, it didn't happen. We're all back to fine, fine, fine. Everything's fine, you know. But the worst thing about being the child of an addict and alcoholic is that you watch your parents, and when they get upset, they say, I need a something. You know, I need a pill. I need a drink. I need a cigarette. And what that taught me was, oh, if I don't like how I'm feeling in here, there's something out there I can put in here that'll make it better. And for me, at that early age, it was food. You know, we did a lot of my mother did what they call geographic cures. We moved all over the country. I was from the East Coast. We moved to uh, we moved to Denver, we moved back, we moved to Florida. I remember crossing the Florida, uh, border from Georgia and seeing, uh, you're in Klan country now. And I'm like, I wanna go home! <laughs> you know? And and the one thing that was a constant was the food. You know, I could, I, you know, you can go. I think up near the top of Mount Everest, there's got to be a, you know, junk food store somewhere. And uh, and that was the thing that kept me going. I had my sweet, I had my salt. I would go sweet, salt, sweet, salt, on, you know, forever. And you know, it worked. It it soothed. It it calmed me. But you know, it also came with the byproduct of being fat. You know, and there's nothing more miserable than being a fat kid because. Kids are just brutal, you know. And uh, at the same time, I was what they call a gifted child, a little brainiac kid. And the trouble with that is when you feel like a piece of garbage about yourself as a physical person, you grab any little thread you can grab with self-esteem. And for me, that was my brain. So I had to make sure as soon as you met me, you knew exactly how smart I was. So I would do things like correct your, your speech, which <laughs> nothing nothing endears you to your fellow man. Like... But that and again that just estranged me even more from my fellows because you know I'm different and and I, and and so that's the way I grew up. I'm, I'm not gonna do a huge food a Um but you know uh, nothing ever you know and I, I and you know at, during that whole time even as a kid as a teenager it wasn't like I wanted this it wasn't like i I tried every diet that ever had been written you know going to Weight Watchers you know and, and things like that at thirteen. And it's funny, when I came into the program, I used to say I tried every diet and they didn't work. And I realized later, you know, it's not true. You know, I tried every diet and they all worked. They all worked once. The trouble is I got a brain of an addict. And as soon as I've done it once, I'm looking for the loopholes and then it doesn't work anymore. And so uh, I went all the way through high school. I didn't date. I didn't go to the prom. I hung out with the other misfits and... uh, uh, I was never going to drink because I saw what happened to my parents and I'll be damned if I'm going to turn into them. And But the trouble is I'm a teenage boy with hormones and I'm fat and I'm desperately trying to, you know, would, would like to meet somebody of the opposite sex. And uh, I was just so terribly shy. And, and there was a TV show. Uh, I don't know if they still do it on the show, but the, a guy had to drink to be able to talk to women. Well, that was literally me. I, I, and... When I found alcohol, oh, my God, you know, I felt better about myself. I felt more at ease. I felt, you know, I could talk to the opposite sex. And what happened, and the only reason I bring this up, it's a different program, it's a different disease, is I went zero to 60 with that. I changed my sugar to the liquid form. I, um, and then for the first time in my life, I lost weight. And I lost weight in the craziest way you can by like not eating for a week at a time and then binging and then not eating for a week at a time and binging. Well, you know, if you're a 20 year old man with a, you know metabolism of a hummingbird, uh, you will lose weight that way. But, you know, and, and what that showed me later when I thought about it later, it proved that I knew deep down that, there, you know, there was no dimmer switch on this disease. There was off and on. That's all I had. And uh, and so I lost the weight. I, I had my first girlfriend, had my first relationship, but by then the other, you know, uh Jack Daniels became more important to me. We're actually vodka, but... Um, and then I was off to the races, and then all the weight I gained also uh, had lost, I gained back because I'm, now I'm drinking and eating. And I used to joke, I said I was fat, then I was a drunk, and then I was a fat drunk. So <laughs> that was sort of my progression. Um, <clears throat> so what happened is that I... um uh, I was just miserable and, and I knew at a certain point I needed AA because my mother had gone to AA, but I didn't want anything to do with the, the program. And, and I remember uh, I went through a detox and, and I got out and I drank like literally that day and then I I, I hit a bottom. They had take me to this, this club. And I remember having an argument with the guy who was my first sponsor because, uh, you know, I said, I can't be part of this. I had grown up in a very dogmatic religion and now I'm a, I'm a card-carrying atheist. I want nothing to do with anything. And I said, I can't be part of this. It's this religious program. And he's like, No, it's a spiritual program. And I was like, No. And we had something. We had that. You know, we used to be on a, a window shade thing. I said, Look, it says God right there. God, God, God. And I point to that on the steps, and, and Him in capital H. You know. And so he said he said the most brilliant thing, and I really think it was God speaking through people. He said, Okay, leave it out. <laughs> And you take somebody who can make a two-step process complicated, i be like, what? And he said, right now your disease is looking for any reason to head out the door. You know, what could be better than that? I promise you, you stay in this program. You, nobody's ever going to make you believe in anything. Nobody's going to make you do anything. You stay sober till you're 110. Nobody's going to make you believe. And because he said it in that way, I was able to sort of, you know, resign from the debating society and stop being so guarded, uh, you know, because I've heard people tell newcomers, oh, keep coming, you'll get it, you know. If they had said that to me with the paranoia I had, I'd have, oh, my God, the cult is going to get me. And um I, that wouldn't have worked. But the fact that he did tell me, you know, that, it helped. It allowed the door to crack just a little, you know, the mustard seed, as they say. Um, and what happened is... Um, I then got back to that crazy dieting again, and I'm doing that, and I'm trying to stay sober, and I have a slip, okay? I have a slip in AA and, you know, by the way, by then I'd heard of OA, you know? But once, once you get here, you start to hear about all the other programs, and, and as soon as I heard it, I go, oh my God, that's it, you know? I've got this great brain. It's of no use. Uh, how many other places it's been great for me in my life, and I Mar- uh, a lady named Marcy says, you can't fix a broken brain with a broken brain, and, I, and it's just so true for me, you know? Uh, so after this, after I came out of that slip, I remember going to the guy who became my second sponsor and I said, I need to go to OA and, you know, over there in AA, they're like, no, here, have a donut, have you know, and I'm like, no, I, I swear these two are so intertwined, I need, and he he said, he said, oh, I told you what meetings I want you to make, I don't care what the hell you do the rest of the time, they're, they are real touchy-feely in AA, Uh, or at that time they were, and, um. And I said, fine. And so I went to OA and I fell in love immediately because all of a sudden everything made sense, you know. And uh, uh, I got a sponsor and I'm going fine. And I have the metabolism, like I said, of a hummingbird. And I'm in 26, and I lose my weight really quick. And this is like the first time in my life I was ever anorexic, okay? Now, I've done every iteration of this disease. I've been a compulsive eater. I've been a bulimic. I've been an exercise bulimic. But for this one little time, I was anorexic. And I'll tell you why. Because if you've been fat almost your whole life, and I, that little time, I almost don't count. I've been fat my whole life. If, if the concept of gold weight, it practically comes with angels singing, you know, gold weight It's this... Thing. You know, magical gate. I will, I will walk through, and and I, I'll like myself. I will have self confidence. The women will be clawing at my ankles as I walk by. You know, and what happened is, I had a goal weight. I got to that weight, and you know what happened? I got to that weight. Nothing else. I didn't like myself any better. I didn't. I wasn't less shy. And and then I, the genius that I am says, well, that must not be the right number. <laughs> so I lost another ten pounds and still didn't like myself. And I lose another ten pounds. Apparently, people are coming up. Are you all right? <laughs> you know, you know. And and that's and, and you know what? I needed to do that to prove to myself something that everybody has said in here for years that there's no number on the scale that's going to make me want to like myself or you know any of that. But at that time, I, I didn't get that. So I um. I, I uh, did really well for a while and then my sponsor went out and then what happened is, is I, um, uh, I was working at a magazine and I started doing stand-up comedy at night and all of a sudden I didn't have a lot of time for meetings, you know. And the wonderful thing about this disease is it's real patient, you know. I stopped going to meetings on a regular basis. I'm doing clubs in New York, and finally one night at Dangerfield, somebody says, "Hey, after hey after show, we're all going down to you know Chinatown. You want to come?" And oh yeah, sure. And boom, I was off to the races, you know. And this is a year, a, a good year, and I had said, "I get it. I need to do this. I need to be on a food plan, you know, a day at a time, the rest of my life. This is what I got to do." And boom, I'm out again and And I thought that was unique, and then, if you ever go back and read Bill's story in the big book, you know bill couldn't get couldn't get sober didn't get sober, finally realizes this is what he's got to do, and still you know he ends up pounding on the bar again. you know how did it happen and that was just me and, and so i um it took a while. I come back and I'm, just, I'm having trouble. It's just so hard because I came in the first time and the abstinence fairy hit me on the head with the wand. It was easy. I was on a pink cloud. I'm sitting there going, What's, why are these people having any problems? And the second time, it wasn't that way. And what I realized later in looking back at it, you know why? Because that first grace abstinence, which I, I see this a lot in program, it was just another one of those diets, you know. I had just, they told me what to do. They gave me uh, a food plan. Uh, I came in right after gray sheet, so they had this dignity of choice, and, and I had was practically gray sheet. And, and, but it was just another diet, and the second time around, it was going to be a lot harder. And, and it's so weird, because, you know, over in, in these other programs, they'll talk about chasing that first high. Well, what I was doing is I was chasing that first abstinence, you know, and expecting it to be easy, and it wasn't, you know. And so I slipped and slid for quite a while. I ended up in a re- really good group in Darien, Connecticut, and uh, and I pulled it together for the most part. I met somebody. I took her hostage. Uh, we got married. Um, <laughs> And we uh, we were both comedians, and we moved out here to the West Coast. And my program fell apart; it just absolutely fell apart. And that relapse cycle was the thing that started, and it was just miserable. And I'm not going to bore you with uh, all the details, Uh, but it just was. It was, uh, you know, I remember. And the thing is, 14 years in, and I'm when I say 14 years, I'm going to meetings three to five times a day. That entire my entire uh, you know program, I've, I've gone to usually at least three meetings a week. And, and, and I remember I was, I was secretary at Artists in Abstinence over there in Hollywood. I was, um, uh, I was sponsoring. Uh, neither of those I should have been doing, by the way. Uh, I had a sponsor. I was a delegate at the intergroup. And yet I'd leave Artists in Abstinence and I'd drive to the donut shop. And I don't... And I'm, I remember leaving there going, why am I doing this? I don't have to go to OA. I'm not, like, sentenced to OA. <laughs> you know, if I don't want... And that was the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, you know, that they talk about. Because I couldn't get it, you know, that... And so, anyway, make a long story short, I, um... I I went to another program for a while. I had a stricter kind of food plan and all, and it it took me a while, but I got it together. And and the other thing I knew is I knew there was stuff going on, and I couldn't get a hold of what it was. I was so desperately trying to figure, because I knew that in and out, in and out, and me not wanting to be doing that, there's there's something fighting me inside, and I couldn't see it. So I kept going. I got a therapist, because I knew the stuff was going to hit the fan. Uh... And what happened is I, after I got a certain amount of abstinence, the answer was like that close in front of me, you know what I mean and because and I, I love that that thing they say, if you want to figure out what you 're eating over, stop eating <laughs> you know and that 's exactly what happened and what it turned out I was in a marriage i didn 't want to be in, and I couldn 't face that because I knew i 'm a people pleaser i 'm a, a what they call a caretaker personality, and to have to go to say somebody who loves me that i don 't want to be in this marriage, you know. That's why I ate. I wheeled this huge thing food between me and what my real problem was, because I had the delusion that I could get a handle on this food when it, when when the time was right. And uh, you know, uh, you know, and, and it's and finally through you know why on that day, I don't know how many times I tried. I it, plus in that other program it was really hard. I would always start on a Monday because that's the rules. Um, <laughs> And I would get to Thursday or Friday night, and I couldn't hold on. And and finally, you know what, 14 years into program, somebody said sometime, I think I must have heard it at one meeting, a day at a time. Wow, what a concept. And I just, I remember saying uh, and making some phone calls and saying, John, I give you permission to go eat. Your brains out tomorrow after your absent breakfast, but tonight you're going to make as many calls, wake people up if you have to, and that was the beginning. And and I look now and I know, you know, there was I had tried that kind of thing before, but all of a sudden it it was different. You know, I think it was my higher power. And uh, and it's you know, like I said, it's it's one of those things I don't realize. You know, and one of the things I wish people would say more from a podium, but I think they think it's it's negative when it real. I don't think it is. I think it's just reality. And I wish somebody had said it to me in my first days or my first days come back from relapse, is that this is hard. <laughs> you know what we do. It isn't hard all the time, but especially in the beginning and and at various times, it's hard. You know, because um, I could say, you know, it took me a lot to get sober, uh, but it was, you know, it was. A hundred times harder to get abstinent, but it's thousands of times harder to stay abstinent than to stay sober. I'm not around that, and and I think that's one of the things. You know, we I, and and you know people talk about we have to take the tiger out of the cage three times a day. You know, I have to I have to ingest the substance that I'm addicted to, and and I know they say, well, alcoholics drink, they just don't drink alcohol, alcohol. But you know, I can tell you, this alcoholic. I uh, never had a drink of something that that made me want to go have an alcohol, any alcohol. But boy, I've been in a not spiritual, fit spiritual condition, and finished my abstinent meal, and wanted to, you know, I'm staring in the refrigerator. You know, I remember one time I said, I'm going to put a tanning light in that damn thing. At least if I'm going to stand there, right I'll get a tan out of it. You know. Uh, But that's one of the things that makes this hard. And remember, you know, food is with us from day one. It's mother, love, reward, you know, all of those things, you know. you know, uh, You know, the worst alcoholic is starting in his teens, you know, but this stuff is with us from day one, and... And the other thing that that it's socially acceptable, right? You know, I mean, you see all these commercials. There's a whole food porn channel out there, right? And all this stuff. <laughs> and have you ever seen a food commercial for the good, really crazy, you know, stuff that ends with "Please eat responsibly." You know. <laughs> you know? You know, next the trouble is people just don't take us that seriously. And the other thing that makes this so hard, I think, is that there's a plethora of easier, softer ways staring at us that we desperately want to believe. But somewhere down here, we really know, you know. I remember uh, Roseanne, uh, you know, I used to be really good friends with this founder, Roseanne, and she used to always say when she spoke, oh, I was so arrogant. I said someday OA will be bigger than AA and, you know, oh, my ego. And I went, no, but if you think about it, how many more compulsive eaters are there than alcoholics? A lot more. The trouble is AA doesn't have any competition. Look at the competition we have. You know, I'm a sick person. I really am. I get if I get an email from Nigerian Prince Mabutu who's promised me a billion dollars, I go, ha, ha, and I hit delete. But I'll be standing in a supermarket line looking at a tabloid that says, eat as much as you want and still lose weight, and I'll be like, huh, let me see what that's about. And, you know. Thirty-four years in, it's still it's still there. You know? Maybe that's it. It's the magic pill, you know. And um but that's, that's, you know, the problem with our disease, you know. And uh, it's hard, you know. We have to eat, you know. And, and alcoholics, I al- always think it's funny. Alcoholics have to abstain from drinking. But we, and I always think they're backwards, you know. Al- alcoholics should be calling it abstinence. We have to have a sober relationship with our food, you know. And sobriety, it says in the big book, soundness of mind, you know. And when I it comes to my food and when I was out there, there was absolutely no soundness <laughs> of mind. But, you know, the thing that I think is, is uh, you know, one other thing about this disease compared to other diseases, it's the only one I know that sometimes recovery comes with a set of problems, you know. I know young women who come in and are and, and are heavy and they're invisible and all of a sudden they lose weight and now they've got all these uh, this attention and that's hard. And I don't know other diseases where like, oh my God, I got sober. I was so, so many problems from being sober. But that's one here. And the other one that's really bad, and I think it's the worst part of this disease, is the manner in which it delivers the pain. You know, know, if there's a good thing to be said about alcoholism and drug addiction, there's a phrase you don't hear every day, right? It's a good thing about it. It's that it delivers the pain in an acute way. It slams you face down into the pavement and maybe one day out of, I don't know how many you'll think to, you know, you'll, you'll end up in handcuffs, You've done that, uh, you know, woken up not knowing where I was or, you know, next to somebody I didn't want to be next to or any of those things. You'll have a moment of of clarity that says, what the hell am I doing with my life? But with food, you have a dull chronic pain that is bad, but it's not, you know, I would I said it's, you know, it, it allows you to, to play games and, and especially if you've got a good brain to keep moving the goalpost. You know, well, I'll never get to 180. I'll, well, I'm certainly never going to get to 190, you know. And you look in the mirror from here up or you wear elastic waistband pants or any of those crazy things, you know. And, you know, it's it, it's, it's, it's a disease that, you know, when you're in it, you know, you're you're constantly accepting that was not, not acceptable before. And the other thing that I think is so hard about it is that you... Um, uh, you, you know, it, it's, it's that you are uncomfortable enough to know you should do something about this, but you're not always uncomfortable enough to be willing to go to any lengths, you know. And, you know, every day, I always say when I speak, it, 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 most of the meetings read how it works, I said the most important stuff you're going to hear didn't come from me, it came from that thing before. And if you look at how it works, it's all there. Willing to go to any lengths. You have to to avail us nothing with complete abandon. And, but, it's, and trust me, when I dragged my sorry ass into my first AA meetings, I was so miserable I was willing to do that. But it's really hard, and you have to make an intellectual jump. And uh, uh, the other thing I'll say, looking back on my slip, I didn't get the concept of powerlessness for me. You know, I, in my other program, I I am one of those people who passed that invisible line. If I took a drink, forget it. You know, you can put ten linebackers between me and that other drink, I'll get there. Uh, uh, but with this disease, I would say I was, you know, because you guys told me, oh, yeah, I'm powerless over the disease. So I would sit there in a good little and I'm powerless. I'd get up and I'm powerless. And then I go eat. And oh, no, I'm powerless. And I go eat again. I'm powerless. I mean, well, what was I saying? You know, I was I saying, oh, the hell with OA, I'm going to leave. I'm done. No. What was in the back of my mind, and I never even thought about it or looked at it until later was when I'm done, I will come back and I will get abstinent again. And the reason in looking back is I had done it so many times. You know, it's that old joke about I I quit smoking, I'm really good at it, I've done it a number of times. Well, if you have had abstinence and lost it and gotten it back, it's really hard for you to say, well, wait a minute, I have the empirical proof. And the reality is it took me a long time to see, no, you know what, I am powerful over the food in the small picture. Because I knew if I went out I could come back, I might have to, it might take a lot to get that train to a stop. I might have to go to 90 meetings in 90 days, get a new sponsor, do a lot of writing, but eventually I would stop the eating again. But the trouble is, because I knew that, I was just setting the next one up. Because I had never really grasped the idea of powerlessness for me. And for me, I had to change the way I saw it. You know, I mean, like today, I believe I'm powerless over a bullet and a gun because I've never put a gun to my head. And as I'm pulling the trigger, say, "Well, I'll start again on Monday." <laughs> you know, I get <laughs> that's not going to be there. Well, that's, you know, when we used to, uh, those have been around for a long time. He used know he's always here. We don't eat no matter what. You know. And I heard somebody say it a nicer way. They said, you know, if you're a compulsive eater and you've made food an option, it's always going to be the only option. It's going to be the path of least resistance. Who wants to? If you're having a real emotional turmoil and you can go eat a food that obviously you like the taste of and that does something to make you feel better or at least did at one point, it's a no-brainer. And what I had to realize is powerlessness for me had to be food can no longer be an option, at least to emotion. I can enjoy it in my meals, but that's it. And, um, and the other thing I just could never grasp was the disease and how it worked on me. You know, I, I like to say my disease is like the world's best salesman. You know, if you think of a salesman who's really smooth and they're likable and all that, and they like their product, which is binging, and, and they know you like that product, you know. And now imagine that that salesman also can read your mind. So whatever you're going to say to say no to that salesman, the salesman at the head has got an answer. And that salesman is there 24-7, you know, especially when I was in my disease trying to make the sale to get me to go binge. And the trouble was is that if it did make the sale, when it was done, it would put its arm around me and say, oh, and by the way, this was actually your idea, you know. It wasn't my idea. When I was driving out of that donut shop, if I really wanted to be doing nothing but eating, I would be eat just doing that. I wouldn't have been sponsor and leading meetings and all that. But that exact moment, I believed I just wanted to eat, and and that was the, a big part of that. And and I just it finally started to sink in. I need to see those ta- those thoughts in my head as something attacking me from outside, not me just you know, you know, changing my mind. Uh, I'm going to run out of time, but I just want to say a couple other things about what I had such trouble with a higher power in the beginning because, you know, everybody uses the G word and I have, I had a lot of trouble for many years with that, you know, and in the, you know, the, the, um, the religion of my birth, you know, God is seen as this white haired guy on the top of the Sistine Chapel, you know, saying, pull my finger, uh, um, and, um, it, a male god just wasn't going to work for me. I come from two long lines of nasty Irish drunks, and the idea of God being a, a male was just not going to work for me. And I had to change uh, some of that. And, and in the beginning, I didn't even have that, you know. And, and I and I I, I say to Sponsees sometimes who are having trouble with that, look, you know, I happen to believe today that. Uh, some higher power put this program here. You just, if you read the history of, of AA, God played chess, taking guys from Switzerland, putting them in New York, sending them off to Albany, all this stuff, you know, incredible. And I believe the process is the thing you need the faith in first, the, pro- the process of, of the program, of the steps and all that, because I know uh, priests, ministers, rabbis, nuns, and cantors who are in this program if it was simply a matter of a conscious contact with a higher power all alone, they wouldn't have had to bend there. But they needed to get in the same rowboat we got. It was given to us in nineteen thirty five and nineteen sixty, which is the program and, and and doing things that way. And and I say to sponsors, look, if you're really an atheist, fine, cut that cord that I have up to a higher power. Just do this program and for now, you know, call that your higher power. Because for me the the, the key was when I, I, it wasn't accepting a high, uh, any kind of a standard higher power, it was just accepting I'm a lesser power. That was the thing I really needed to do more than anything, you know. And today I have, uh, I, it's amazing, I, I I have very little fear anymore. I, I you know, I think everything is going to work out, you know. The thing about getting to my age, I go, well, if it hasn't killed me yet, what's the ch-, you know, what are the odds, you know. And, and I tell people, you know, when I think about what I believe in, in program and, and is that everything's just going to work out, you know, and and the, 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 I've said to people, OK, I, I, my formative thoughts, believe it or not, have come from Bugs Bunny cartoons a lot of times. <laughs> There's this great Bugs Bunny cartoon where he wakes up one morning and they're building a skyscraper right over his, his hole, which is funny because, you know, rabbits that actually live in holes, but that's another thing. Um. <laughs> And he starts going up in this, this building that's not actually built and there's nothing but girders and he gets up, I don't know, way, way, way up there and something conks him on the head. You know, the typical, you know, birds going tweet, tweet. And he starts walking along this girder, and he's, like, out of it, and he gets to the end of the thing, and as he steps off, there's another girder that swings by on a, on a crane that grabs him, and he walks along, and boom, he it meets up with another thing, and he keeps walking along. That's the way I feel my higher power has led my life. You know, something has always worked out, and, you know, and it's just always worked. And for me... I started to really get, that's part of the third step for me, you know. I hear people say, turn it over, and it's really hard to understand that sometimes. You know, what the hell's turn it over mean, you know? i was <laughs> if you turn something over twice, it's face up again. Um, but for me, I changed the way I saw it. I, it, it somebody said one day, it's, think of it as, as the opposite, removing the blockage of self-will, you know. And for me, that was the most important thing when I, when I came in and got my absence again. I always joked that I, I said I needed a sponsor way more than I needed a higher power when I first came in, you know, because I needed somebody to help me get my food in order and all that. I know today that sponsor was a bridge to a higher power, but I needed that so much. And I wanted to you know make these wonderful thoughts. And I always say uh, I believe in the concept of a God, myself, and another human being, very grounded out. Program stuff because I said you know I can go into a closet and pray to God and come out thinking you know God told me chocolates a vegetable you know <laughs> you know and and but because I have this hierarchy I call my sponsor and he goes yeah for today no okay but that's it I have to be willing to to, to have some faith in all those things and today I do and, and anyway. Uh, it has helped me so much, but it had to start with the food for me, you know, because in the middle of that relapse, I'm using perfectly good program slogans all the time. I'm praying for the willingness. You know, I heard somebody say it at a convention once, when it comes to addiction, willingness is highly overrated. <laughs> you know, pain is what it is. And pain, you think about it, Bill and Dr. Bob had sat around waiting to be willing to, to stop drinking, you know. But I needed, I, I needed to, to see things differently because my disease, I would just say all this stuff that I can look now and go, now how crazy it was, because my disease was taking everything I knew about program, you know, and, um, and oh, I'm going to work the steps and then I'll get abstinent. Well, you know, that's not what I read in the book since then. And all these other things, because my disease got up every, every day in the middle of my relapse with one job to do, and that was to get me to kick the can down the road one more day on not putting the food down. And if it could get me to do it today, he knew it could probably get me to do it tomorrow. And I realized that the grace of God put the food down and all else will keep coming. But I need to do that. And um, the day at a time, it's worked. So thank you for letting me share.